Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with author, survivor, and advocate, Jenna Ashland. Jenna has an incredibly powerful story and she shares it in such a beautiful, vulnerable, and powerful way that is here to show you of what you can overcome in your own life, really truly by acknowledging and overcoming the skeletons in your closet. We talked all about healing and triggers and the emotional triggers and how we are constantly as a society suppressing the trauma, the challenges so that we can numb, so we can avoid what is actually happening. But this is really about learning to see those skeletons, embracing them, learning how to overcome them all through the process of building resiliency muscle, which is really what we talked about today. So Jenna is a volunteer for Southern Iowa's Survivor Advocacy Outreach Program. She provides support and services to victims of abuse. She is a lover of animals and most types and spends her extra time being a mom and cuddling with her Cocker Spaniel, which I love animals. I'm such an animals person. Um, she studied creative writing at two universities and worked for a campus literary magazine. Her writing has been appear has appeared in numerous literary magazines, including Night Roses, The At Word Review, and Poets Choice. In 2015, she won the overall writing award in the Star Jewel Nationals and Talent Showcase Arts Contest. And in 2019, she was nominated for an award, a Meyer Award, which celebrates the best writing of university students. In 2020, Jenna released her debut novel, Within the Gray, and her second novel just released in early 2022 called Sheila's Men. This is a really powerful, vulnerable podcast episode, and I'm so grateful that our paths crossed and I'm able to share Jenna's story on this podcast. If something in this speaks to you, please reach out to Jenna because she has walked through a lot of challenges and she can definitely be a source of support for you. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show today, Jenna. I'm so thrilled to meet you and to have you here. I'm glad to be here today. Awesome. We're just going to start with a couple of quick questions so people can get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? I am from Southern Ohio. Southern Ohio. Okay. Perfect. We're in Ontario here. So which is, we're actually not too, too far from each other. What is something that some people might not know about you? Oh, um, my favorite thing to share is that I'm getting married in a few months. Oh, that's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited. That's awesome. What is something that is your superpower? Resilience. 
I think that there's like not a whole lot that I can't get through and like knock on wood, you know, like so far so good. Like you never know because things can always be worse, but I can still smile after going through a lot. And I seem to have a knack for getting out of really bad situations and making the most of it. That's awesome. Can I ask you what your definition of resilience is? Because I do hear that word a lot and I do hear people say it. I would just love to know what your definition of it is. Oh, that makes me want to like second guess everything. And check no, Google. no, no, that's not what it's for. <laughs> no, I wanted, I actually wanted to, it's going to lead into your story, but I just wanted to have your feelings on what the word resilience means. For me, it's going through a lot and being able to survive it and not really considering myself a victim of anything and being able to stand upright and say, Hey, I survived and now I'm going to thrive. Mm, See, I love that. I love that because the one thing that I talk about here a lot, and I, again, there's never any judgment because I was in this space is that I think that when we all have difficult stories, we have a period of time where we feel we find ourselves as a victim and yes, and, and, and that's normal. And some people will be in that space for a long time and forever. Cause that's just where they are, which is fine. Um, but I love how you said not being a victim, because I think once you can see yourself as not a victim, then you can create change. I think that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to your story? Because I also know that resiliency is a muscle that you continue to build, right? You build it over time as you start to take those scary steps. And then you start to believe in yourself and it's like, okay, wait, I actually am more resilient than I thought. And that just keeps reinforcing it. Any part of your story that you would like, like to start with, I would love to share. Okay. So there's a lot. So those were resiliency muscles. I must be like a bodybuilder, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'm reading your sheets here and you are a bodybuilder. So let's share with you. Okay. Um, I started out with a pretty rough childhood and, you know, that wasn't good for um, what was coming, but I'd say, you know, I had some, some trauma and some molestation and stuff starting when I was about four till the age of 12 ended up in some, in a couple of not so great marriages and that both had, um, abuse in them, but I haven't really talked that much about those or wrote about them or anything like that. But the real big story, cause so it just kind of keeps growing and getting worse. Yes. And then I had like a little bit of a reprieve whenever I was about 27 to 30 and I was in a good relationship and then he died. And then, um, after that I wasn't in a good headspace and I wasn't able to protect myself as, as much as I, I should have been able to. And I ended up in, um, a steadily growing abusive relationship that, um, started out with just mental abuse and then steadily grew um, over nearly a decade to where it included domestic violence, mental abuse, sexual coercion, sexual manipulation, and rape. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What, Thank you. What, what was the turning point for you? Where was that? Can you think um, 
is there a point that hits you where it was like, you know what? No, this is not my story anymore. I am. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I want to get into like how you continue to build that resiliency muscle, but was there a turning point for you? I think that I was always kind of suspicious that things were going on because he was very narcissistic and I was blaming myself because, you know, again, after my husband had died, I wasn't in a good headspace. Mm -hmm. So my decision-making abilities and everything were like nothing. But about halfway through my daughter, who was only eight or nine at the time, I was talking her into bed and she looks up at me and she goes, mom, I want a new dad. And for me, that was like, that was rough. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment, I'm like, okay, baby, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but okay. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of woke me up a little bit and said, okay, this isn't just happening to you. They can see it. They can see it. They can feel it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And your first steps, how did you like, what, what, so somebody's listening to this and they can relate to that point that you just described. And they're saying, but I don't, I don't have an option. I don't know what to do. What is a, what is a piece of advice that you can share with somebody who's in that position? What I did is probably not, I'm hoping that other people have better options than what I did. Mm -hmm. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the first thing that you do is you call and you, you know, try the rape crisis lines and domestic violence lines, people like that. See if there's anything local that can help you. If that doesn't work, you know, you have to see if there's any kind of law enforcement that can help. Um, After that, you know, if you can't find any help or advice, then you're going to have to prepare for a way to leave or to get them to leave, which is even harder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So start at like the resources and see if they're there. And if they're not there, you're going to have to carve your own path, but you still have to get out. I would not, if I had to do it all over again, I would definitely live in my car. Mm -hmm. So because it had such a deep impact on all three of my kids that they're still recovering from it years later. I mean, in a big way, I mean, people recover for a long time, but there's still some pretty extreme mental health issues mm-hmm. with them more so than with me. That's a hard one. That's a, that's definitely like, that's definitely hard. And I really appreciate you sharing that and giving that, um, letting us see that part of part of your story. So as you started to really create change in your life and continue to move forward, was there another turning point where all of a sudden the lights start to go on that it's, I have worth, I have like, I don't, I deserve more. I know I meant for more and there's so much more that I want to do. I think that it wasn't just one moment. I think that it was very steady growing, you know, like it started out small. It started out in that moment and I was still in that relationship in that for a long time mm-hmm. after that because it I had no resources. 
and there I didn't have family that I could go to. There was you know nothing I could really do, and I had to work full time, and my kids were too small to be left alone. So not a lot of options. So it was kind of a preparing the kids, preparing me. Okay, we've got to find a way to get him out. Mm-hmm. And as that started to happen, you know, at first it was like, okay, this is what's going on, and just. I grew in that. And then there was, you know what, I I don't care how many times I've been married. I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. And because I had continued to draw more and more abusers to me. Mm -hmm. So this was like my fourth husband and I'm going to therapy going, okay, what's wrong with me? Why is, you know, why do I keep doing this? And he started everything just kind of intensified whenever I woke up, you know, that was the moment that I woke up and everything intensified with the the abuse and everything. But whenever I started working even more hours, um, far away from home, he had, like I said, it just kept intensifying. It was, it was bad. And I got really suicidal and I think it was in that moment that I'm like, you know what? I don't want to die. I just don't want to live this life anymore. And it was at that moment that I started to kind of climb out. And it was a journey of rediscovering myself through through writing my books and journaling. And that's kind of where I started. That's beautiful. I, I, I think there's something that I'm always, I just always admire when somebody has come through a really difficult situation and they are still wanting to find a way, like they're still finding a way to pay it forward, to pay it back, to help others, to do, you know, just share, I would say like share the lessons, share the, the learnings to help other people who are still stuck in that situation. And that is really what you're doing here. As I look at it, tell us about the um, volunteer and what you're doing with the programs. Well, I am on the crisis line for our local advocacy center that helps domestic violence and sexual assault survivors. And that's been really rewarding just to be on that line. You know, I normally do it once a week because I'm actually too far from the center to be able to do anything really in person, but they're going to have me doing tabling events. And then um, once a week, I'm on the crisis line. But I also find that for the most part through messenger and different Facebook groups and things of that nature, I am busier with that than I am the advocacy center. Um, Because there's always a friend of a friend or somebody that has read one of my books or something of that nature that is reaching out and just wants to talk. And sometimes people are down and that gives me the opportunity, you know, to be there for them and to just be a person that listens from the outside. And I never point fingers. I'm just kind of there to be that listening ear. And to kind of ask the questions that'll point them in the direction of understanding for themselves, because you can tell somebody that they're in an abusive relationship all day long, but unless they realize it for themselves, mm-hmm. then it doesn't really matter. No, it's, a, it's no matter what, you can provide all the information you as a person, anybody listening has to be in that space where it's like, no more, I'm not doing it this way anymore. Like you have to make that decision. 
And the more people we have speaking about things like this, then the more we're normalizing a conversation that people don't want to have. Like people don't like to have these conversations, but they're incredibly important. And um, I can say, I just, I know firsthand for us when we were really in peak times of crisis, some of the crisis lines were the best source of support I had, but hands down the best source of support. And Maybe that's, and that's just me. I'm not putting anything down. I tried counseling. I tried different things, but when you're in crisis, it's like, I need somebody's help right now. I don't need it. At, and and the other thing too, most of the time when we were dealing with counselors, they, you know, they're working till four or five, which I get, but nothing ever went wrong in my life during working hours. It was always in the middle of the night. It was on the weekends. It was those periods of time. And so the crisis lines were something that we use quite frequently. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, it's a shame Mm -hmm. with, you know, therapy and counselors that it's like that. I mean, and it definitely needs to be like that, you know, because they're, they're doctors and working professionals, but we expect them to be able to create, create miracles and to suddenly heal us. And the whole thing is, is that, that's something we have to do for ourselves. We can't rely on somebody else to do that. No. Having the support of the advocacy lines is a great, you know, first step. Mm-hmm. But when it all comes down to it, it really does come down to healing and respecting ourselves and doing that work for ourselves. Nobody else can do it for us. No. No. And this is that it's such a hard line for some people to see. But it's it all, I think the sooner we can come to the space of owning that we want to create that change ourselves, like owning that choice for ourselves, that's when change happens. It's if we're 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 moving out of that victim space to saying, no, I actually am responsible for what I want in my life and this is not it. Yeah, absolutely true. I think the most common thing that I get from people is like, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. What what do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I discover I have no hobbies, I have no hope, I have no happiness, you know, what what do I do? That's the first question people ask. It's the most common thing because you get so used to living in that trauma that you have no idea how to move forward. Mm-hmm. You don't even know yourself anymore. And what I keep telling people is that, you know, just make a list of everything that you want to do. It can be the craziest list. Mm-hmm. You know, but I found as you start making this crazy list, little things will start popping up. They do. Once mm-hmm. you, yeah, it's like, um, I remember after one of my husbands, I wasn't allowed to wear animal print. So, so you know what I did? Oh, I went you- out and bought an animal print. <laughs> See, that's I surrounded beautiful. myself. Yeah, yeah. It's just sometimes you don't even realize those simple little things until you start to write a list. Mm-hmm. And like another thing for this last one was, okay, I spent all this time, you know, buying him cars and listening to him about what he wants and what he likes and car this and car that. And I'm like, I ended up with a minivan. And while that's great for some people, you know, I was really looking to be more than just a mom. Mm-hmm. I don't take <laughs> yeah, anything because- wrong from that. I totally understand what you're saying. Because, you know, the kids are almost grown up. They're, you know, teenagers and it's kind of time to mm-hmm. own myself a little bit. So that was one of the things that I did. I would take breaks 
on lunch hours and stuff like that. And I would go to car lots and I would just kind of look around and sit in different vehicles to find, okay, what do I actually like with no guy's input at all? Didn't tell anybody I was going. It's like, okay, without a guy around, what do I actually like? That's more powerful than, well, than most people would realize because that is um, like vision casting. That's like vision cast. Even just, it's not even just the car. It's the fact that what do I want and what do I choose for me? And this car is just an example of what I am creating for myself. Exactly. Exactly. Because it becomes about you and not about anybody else's opinion. And I think a lot of, I don't know if it's just survivors in general, or people have been through trauma or women in general, we are so used to everybody else's opinion. What does my husband think? What does my boyfriend think? What do my kids think? What does mom and dad think? Because we have this burden on us that we have to do what everybody else thinks and stepping out like that and going from car lot to car lot over a long period of time was so liberating because it was my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it was like really weird at first. <laughs> I, well, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Because, you know, you get so used to it that realizing that you're not thinking on your own as much as you thought you were mm-hmm. is, is really weird. Is it acts like that? I would love to ask the question before we get into you and your books is this, we you kind of referenced it without saying it, this self-worth piece. Like a lot of women, we have this, I, I can't even tell you how many women I work with on a consistent basis. And some of them are, you know, doing incredible, if you look from the outside in, doing incredible things, building incredible businesses, building like what looks like everything is all together. And when you talk to them, it's like, oh my goodness, like you don't feel worthy of this at all. Like you could see it. So it is a something I see quite often. And these are women who are already stepping up saying, I'm going to change this and I'm going to do it. And I like, I love it, but it's just an inherent underlying repeated self-worth story that I see so often with women. Well, uh, that was like, I'm not even sure where to begin with that Mm -hmm. because it is an undercurrent and it's something that if you don't recognize it, it's going to stay there because you have to build that self-worth. You have to really believe in yourself. And for me, that was starting to change the way I thought. So every once in a great while that happens to me still, you know, I'll have like a down day. I haven't had one in a while knock it on wood again, but, and those days can be really bad, but I'd say that I was just like that a couple of years ago. You have to remind yourself, you know, the old simple thing where you, you sit down and write the things that you like about yourself because we beat ourselves up mentally so often about our hair or our eyes, or if there's even the smallest of wrinkles on our face or that extra piece of cake that, and then suddenly you're feeling like you gained five pounds and you're fat and ugly and spirals. It just spirals. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what we forget in those moments, and we tend to remember later, but very timidly is that your weight has nothing to do with your beauty. 
wrinkles can be absolutely beautiful because you sh- they show that you have lived, you know, and if you had that extra piece of cake, that means you're enjoying life. Not that you're sacrificing anything. You know, you've got to remember your worth. You've got to remember all of the, the good things that you've done. And sometimes we forget those. Mm-hmm. We forget that we are these powerful creatures that have created life within us. And even if we're not moms, we still have this natural ability to reach out to others and, and help them. Or sometimes even just having a smile for someone on a bad day, mm-hmm. how powerful that is. We forget those things whenever we're having those down moments. And that's whenever, you know, you, you make those lists of those good things about you and things that you love about yourself or that other people love about you. And you go back to it over and over and over again. You shared so many nuggets there and I cannot thank you enough because that I would encourage any female listening to this, like seriously start with that, write down that list and not on a piece of paper, you're going to throw out a piece of paper, you're going to add to, and you're going to continue to see those things in yourself. Um, I read, I led a workshop for women in December and we talked about like, what were they grateful for? They did what they accomplished, how they showed up for themselves, whatever, small, big, whatever over 2021. And I watched a group of women almost go, I don't know what to write. I'm like, okay, whoa, we have just, let's just start over here because there has to find that. So I think that building this gratitude list for ourselves of, of us, not things we have, but of us and what we've done and what we have achieved or accomplished or overcome is so important. It really is. And people just kind of underestimate the simple things and how powerful they can be, like making the list of things you want to do. You know, my list started with, hey, I want to go spend a month in Italy. And it ended with, I wonder what kind of car I like, you know? And it ended with, I should take more bubble baths, you know? It could start like really, but it's just the process of getting the ball rolling, basically Mm -hmm. getting your mind, giving your mind permission to think about yourself because we're always thinking about somebody else and then feeling guilty about it. And there's nothing wrong with being a little bit selfish and having those emotions and rediscovering ourselves. Yeah, definitely. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And permission is a great way to say it. It's a great way to say it. So you eventually, how, where was the, not the gap. When did you start writing and start um, almost having that moment going, okay, wait, I think I'm actually going to write more. Like, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. How did you get there? Well, it, as with everything, it was a process, but I think in the beginning I was with my abuser and well, my last abuser, because <laughs> no there's judgment. been a few of those, but yeah, it sucks. <laughs> but I was with him and I wasn't allowed to mourn my husband that I died. So I started writing and I was just completely inspired. I'm just kind of like sitting over here looking at both books right now. And I remember those moments I had to start by writing them through email. Mm -hmm. And the first book I wrote was uh, within the gray and it was everything that I wished would have happened. The support person that I wished I would have had and the choices I wished I could have made after my husband died. But 
and get to make those choices. Mm-hmm. So that was actually part of my healing process. And I started to wake up, maybe not because of the writing, because of everything else. But by the end of writing that book, I was fully awake mm-hmm. and had planned my way out. So I put that book down and I don't pick it up for six months. But in that six months, absolutely everything changed. Everything. Like night and day, I was a completely different person in six months because I was so intense about my healing. I was so determined. But that's how that started. So Within the Gray is my first book. And it's how that should have went. Mm. Sheila's Men is what actually happened. And Sheila's Men is being released. Is it released now or is it just coming? It is. It is released now. It was released on the 10th. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. It, It is a story of my trauma and survival. It is rather detailed and it is very triggering. But I want to say something about that in a minute. But it's okay because it's a beautiful story and it shows my resilience and it shows how I got out and it shows happiness that I found for myself as I took control of my life. It's actually a really beautiful story and it's very, very powerful. That's what people keep telling me at least. I don't want to call my own book powerful, but like my publisher and people that have read it and like everybody, everybody everywhere. That's the most common word that I get is how powerful it can be and that it can change lives. And it is my honest story. It is technically a fictional retelling, um, mostly for legal purposes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only, I'm only, I'm only chuckling only because we, another part of my business is we, it's called everybody holds a story and we share body stories of people who have come through trauma and it's interesting because I, I understand with legal ramifications and things, how they work, it's getting a little bit more challenging when it comes to sharing stories like this. We have a couple who have gone through physical and sexual abuse who are sharing their stories. And I know it's it's a, it's been a challenge with how do we share that story and still meet all of the requirements and you know be truthful in the story, but all of these things. So going almost a fictional route is I can see that becoming something that is required when it comes to some of these stories. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, not everything is a hundred percent true, but if it's not a hundred percent true, then it's most definitely emotional, emotionally true. There are metaphors and Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I took my kids, you know, which I have three kids. And sometimes when you're writing, it can get really, really muddy if you have too many characters. I mean, there's a lot of characters, but it, I made her a, compo- a composite character. So the daughter in the book, there's only one and it actually represents all three oh, just beautiful. at different times. Mm-hmm. And then some of the events were combined, but if you're looking for a tearjerker that's going to help you open up because if you feel closed off and you need a way to kind of get those emotions out, this would be the way to go. Mm-hmm. If you want to mm-hmm. see the light at the end of the tunnel and see what my resilience is, I highly recommend buying the book. I The name I have to ask, um, Sheila's Men, where did that come from? It was just kind of 
always in the back of my mind. Nobody's <laughs> ever asked me that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I tend to ask questions um, that people don't ask, but yes. Well, thank you. It's awesome. I back my mind, but it was just because as I continued with the abuser and started to wake up, it wasn't just one. You know, I started with um, me making a few mistakes, and that just kind of was set off a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of them that were kind of coming and going and trying to come and go in my life throughout this decade long journey. And I think that my honesty about that is, is really important. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I completely agree. Can I ask you um, what the process of vulnerability was like for you? Because as you come to a space of sharing your story, that's like a vulnerable hurdle. It is. And then it can create almost this vulnerability hangover sometimes because it's, it's challenging. Um, I'm just curious what that process has been like for you. Well, um, writing the book was one thing. And like, I knew that I, I needed to share it. And, you know, like the first half was all about my healing. And then it's like, okay, wait, this might be important. And, and it is important. And Mm -hmm. I really do think that it's powerful and can change lives, but that's like really heavy and really scary. And for me, it was just kind of the realization that with my honesty, I kind of joke around and say, Hey, yeah, everybody's got skeletons in their closet. I'm just the only one to open the door and put a spotlight on them. Mm, and like, I love that. Thanks. It, I mean, it's very real, but like it's, uh, it started being really, really scary. You know, like at first it was, what if he finds out about this book? What if people start talking about it in town? Cause I live in a small town. Is he going to come after me? And then it moved to, okay, I'm going to get my concealed carry. He can't admit to this because you know, he can't say anything about it because if he does, then he's admitting guilt. So I got past that hurdle. And then it's like, okay, I'm about to put this all out here. So with my first book, I was really, really excited. This one, not so much. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, okay, this is real. Yeah. This is happening. This is all of my skeletons and okay. <laughs> it's but, hard. I mean, I'm, yeah, I was like really excited at first whenever I got the publishing contract and stuff. And then like as time grew on and there's like just this process of dread and discomfort. And then I started podcasts and everything. And I told my fiance, I'm like, I'm going to need some love and support. He's like, but everything's going great. I'm like, no, <laughs> it, it's it's a lot more work than people think. And when I talk about like the vulnerability hangover that happens, even with the right intentions, with the work, with all the personal work, it's just real because all of a sudden your story is now out there, which is part of the calling of what you were here to do. So it is you following your path, but it can be, it's okay that it can be very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. It's, I think for two weeks I had a lot of intense, you know, book launch stuff. You know, I did like so many interviews. It's kind of ridiculous, you know, locally and and online. And I was exhausted. I just came off. I took three days off and I hadn't taken like any days off for about two weeks prior to that. And 
just the level of exhaustion, like people, you can't even really understand because Mm -hmm. it's like a major crash and you talk about it so much and you talk about your story, like in, in detail and stuff, but without too much detail. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of comes to the point where you just can't take anymore. And it's, you can't move. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're unhappy and it's not that you're triggered. See, that's the thing. People think, oh, that's depression or you're being triggered or or whatever. And it's not at all. It's just, you're tired. Mm -hmm. You have to take a time out. I think that's a great description. Thank you for that. Because as you start to write, it does stretch up old stories. It does bring things to the surface again, that even if you have healed them, they're still uncomfortable. We don't want to go through them again. But when it comes also, when the story comes out publicly and you share it, it can be like, I remember having a moment after my book released where I I couldn't even show up. I was like, no, I just need some time for me because this is just, and it's, it's so weird because people were, I had, people were amazing. They were like so good and sending great messages. And that also means a lot of receiving, which is, is, is a tough thing for some women to, to do. But I remember going, okay, I'm not going to judge myself. I need a break right now. I need a break and space. And then I was able to come back better than that, but it's, it is hard. It's a lot of work to share your story like that. It really, really is. And, you know, I was feeling guilty because I took three days off. Yes. Everybody always, guilt is a horrible thing, but we we all do it. Mm -hmm. I think especially as women, we're really bad about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We are. Because we are. We're so used to giving of ourselves and um, I, I mean, I don't know, it, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It is. It is, but it's a process. And obviously you've done your second one now, which I know is even more vulnerable. So obviously like you're doing, you're really taking those lessons that you've learned and healing and able to put it into some, into a format to impact and help others, which I think is beautiful. What is like, what's the biggest thing you've learned from publishing your books and sharing your story? Um, okay. So for me, I read my stories and I'm like, okay. But when you share your story and you put it out there and people are reading it and they're giving you feedback and they're talking to you you kind of see it from somebody else's perspective because we kind of become numb to our own stories, you know, after a while. I actually think we have to, at some point, because it's the only way we can survive and you're living in it. Like when you're living in it and there were times where I would talk and share part of my story and I would see other people's facial reactions. And I'm like, what, what, why are you, what, what's, why are you making that? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's just our life. They're like, no, no, this is not okay. But when you're living in it, it does become normal. Yeah. You know, and at this point, you know, where I've, I've wrote it in, in detail, cause I'm a very detailed, very visual writer. And, you know, now I'm, I mean, it's just been out there and mm-hmm. it's just kind of people, people's reactions. And they're telling me, wow, I can't, believe you survived so much. I'm so happy that you're still here and that you're doing everything that you're doing. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> it's 
I mean, I really do appreciate those comments and everything, but you hear them so, so often you're like, okay, moving on now. Cause that's I know, just, I know it's all right? good. It's all good. <laughs> but, but that's kind of how you feel. And it's just weird. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Cause they're telling you how amazing and wonderful you are. And you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's yes. And this is such an interesting conversation because I completely, I, I, for different story, but I relate exactly to what you're saying. And I always just want to say some, but like, you can do the same thing too. You can share a story. You can do something to not as a deflection, but just maybe to empower more and more people to share stories. Because I think one of the biggest things that happen with our shame stories is we hold on to them. We don't let others see them. We don't want people to know what we're going through and heck, we're not alone. We're just not alone. There's so many people who are struggling through different shame stories, but we don't know that because very few people are talking about them. See, and that's the thing. People need to talk about them Yep. because there's, I think that's why there's so much suicide and there's so much depression and so many people that stay in that victim mindset. Mm -hmm. And if we were talking about it and people didn't feel like they were alone because they're sitting there thinking, man, I'm crazy. There must be something wrong with me that, that these kind of things keep happening to me and we don't talk about it and we not in the way that we should, you know, we put cute little labels on it and make funny memes on Facebook. That is not the same thing as talking about it, you know, or we make some kind of dramatic and and they're wonderful. And I really like those and I want to write one, but (laughs) I thank you for sharing that because I think that that's very true. We, we, we can sometimes hide behind the sarcasm, the humor, the, you know, and feel like we're talking about it, but we're not talking about it. So. No, no, we're not. Mm-mm. And it's important to get that one-on-one that intimate. Okay. This is what happened to me mm-hmm. and I'm not crazy. So you're not crazy either. Just because that guy is trying to convince you that you've lost your mind doesn't mean that it's true. No, because that's like one of the biggest things that they do is they really try to get you to blame yourself. And, you know, if you're very empathetic, then that's going to happen pretty easily, like more easily than people realize. Mm -hmm. And it's just so sad because we're, we think we're sharing, but we're not. And there's so much talk about equality and all of these things, but we're not actually addressing the issue. We're avoiding it. And one of the things that is really hard for me is that people are so afraid of being triggered. And this is what I say. And it's so important to me that I say it in every single interview. Stop being afraid of being triggered. It is your mind and your body telling you that you need to heal. It's trying to get that out. Because what we want to do whenever we're being triggered is, oh, no, that's an emotion that I stuffed inside because I didn't want to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't exist. And we try to lock it away and we avoid it. Mm -hmm. But whenever you do that, you're not acknowledging those feelings and you're not going to heal. If you want to heal, allow yourself to have those emotions. And that's why books like mine and books that are honest that trigger you are such a good part of your healing process. So I tell people, you know, go ahead and be triggered. Allow yourself to feel those emotions. Get a journal, a tape recorder, whatever you do, and let yourself have those feelings. 
because your feelings and your emotions are completely valid. And that is such a step in realizing your healing and your survival and rebuilding yourself is to acknowledge those feelings, know that they are valid and nobody can take those away from you. Nobody can tell them, tell you that they're wrong because they're not, they're yours. They're your feelings. And so it's okay to be triggered because if you write those things down, you know, or you use a voice recorder, then as you're in that moment, just write everything you feel, even if it makes no sense to you at all. And then later, whenever you're not in an emotional crisis, whenever you're not in that triggered moment, you can start to read back and you'll start to see your own patterns of thought and you'll start to kind of see what's going on underneath the surface because we tend to stay at the surface level. And it's so important to get deeper than that if we want true healing and if we truly want to move on with our lives. And if you're working with an advocacy center, if you're working with a therapist or you have a trusted person that helps you through things, take that journal or that recording, voice recording, whatever you have, trust them with that. Mm -hmm. Because how is a therapist going to help you heal your mental health and help you sort through things if they only see you a couple times a month and Mm -hmm. you're in a good mood that day? Oh, I know. You know, you know, all of these people are here to help you, but you have to help them help you. And it is your responsibility to heal. And if they don't have the information, they can't give you any steps. They can't give you any pointers and their hands are tied. So let yourself be triggered. I think people, for me, that is like the biggest thing. People need to stop being so afraid to feel anything. You said it there. Exactly. I think that like, I've always say embrace the triggers when something is triggering me. I'm like, okay, wait, what is that bringing up for me? What is that? Like, what is that? bring up for me so I can look at it more carefully. The other piece of that though, is I think I love how you've worded that and said it. I think it's absolutely beautiful is the triggers are so uncomfortable for people because they're so used to being numb. They're so used to like, Nope, not going to feel that not going to react to that. Not going to. And so there's no feeling attached to it. So it's like almost opening up Pandora's box and it's uncomfortable as hell and people don't want to. Well, I mean, if you want to grow, you're going to have to be uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable. Anytime that you go on vacation and you board an airplane, you're probably uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Really cool things happen there. I mean, every time that it's dark and dreary and I, I board a plane and then I go down to the beach and there's sunshine and palm trees and the ocean. You know what? That was kind of worth, you know, an hour and a half of discomfort. Mm-hmm. So, or childbirth. People... You know, there's a lot of moms out here. There's a lot of moms that have been through a lot of trauma. Yep. Was it comfortable giving birth? No. No. Was it right? No. (laughs) So was it worth it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's You get something beautiful after that. So kind of think as those emotional triggers, as labor, they're your healing pains. They're your growing pains. If you throw away the labor and refuse to have it, then you're not ever going to get to the beautiful rewards on the other side. Yeah. And that is absolutely stunning. Beautiful. What you just said. And I can, I can feel it and I can feel it on such a deep level. And the fact that it is growth and it is work to get to the other side. And you have to believe that there's a better picture for you. If you're in a space that is 
not good, not conducive, not healthy, no room for growth. And even I think so many times we get stuck in the how, but how am I going to, going to do it? And it's like, you have to believe that this over here, like you can create something more for your life. It's not going to happen overnight, but you're going to have to go through a lot in order to get to here. But I would say we get to choose which one people say, well, that's really hard. I'm like, well, it's really hard to stay in the same space. That's not working either. So we can always choose our heart, right? We get to choose which one we want. And I, sometimes I'd rather go for the one that I don't know how it's going to turn out as opposed to the one I'm standing in. Well, yeah, if you want to change your life, you know, do you just stay in the same place? You know, even if you're taking little teeny tiny baby steps, mm-hmm. those baby steps are going to put you in a different position than what you were Yeah. right now. Like, are you going to be in the same spot a year from now? Or are you going to be making headway? Because once you start making those little tiny baby steps with your eyes squinted closed and you're like all bundled up and kind of freaked out and scared, start to make those baby steps and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And you start kind of looking around and then those baby steps start getting a little bigger. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you're like sprinting, you know, I do. but if you don't, if you don't take those first few steps where you're scared and you want change and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't start. You'll never finish. No, no, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Honestly, that was just so, so many nuggets in there. What is coming up next for you now that you have launched your second book? You've taken a couple of days you've given yourself, but what's coming up next for you? <laughs> um, My wedding. <laughs> nice. But I am not entirely sure. I'm just kind of going with the flow. I do want to create a program where pastors and Christian leaders become, can become more trauma informed because I think that I I think that they really need some help. And I do have a unique background with the church and I have a lot of uh, formal education um, and biblical training. Mm -hmm. And while I don't attend regularly and I have my, own boundaries. We'll we'll just go with boundaries. Mm-hmm. With that, I really rather than point my finger at the church and say, "Hey, you weren't there for me," and I went to you like a million times. Rather than point the finger and blame, I'm just going to decide to reach my hand out and say, "Hey, if you want to learn, if you guys want to show people." a better way and you want to help rather than hurt here, let me inform you. Let me show you what this is about Mm -hmm. because if they don't have any kind of knowledge and they're not trauma informed, then they're going to keep doing the same thing that they're all always have been doing, which is obviously not working because the advocacy centers are flooded. Mm -hmm. And they're always going to be there for you. And I don't want to discourage anyone from seeing them, but we need more. We need more on the front line. We need more people and more law enforcement to be there and learning what it actually looks like and help them to recognize what's going on. And I think that the churches haven't really been addressed. And maybe I can be one of them that can stand up and say, hey, try this. Mm -hmm. This is what this is. 
And then I have every intention of being able to back that up and speak their language and, and hopefully give more resources to people. Good for you. That is where change is going to continue to come from. If somebody has to go first, you just have to keep going first and talk about the things again, that people don't want to talk about, but I do love that you said there needs to be more support because often as like we came through a lot of very unique and challenging trauma in our story. And I don't know how many times over the past two years I've said to my husband, I'm like, could you imagine if we were living in this time right now? Like, especially with the restrictions and the closures and the resources not available and people being locked up in their own homes constantly for, you know, days on it. I can't even imagine what I can't imagine. It was so hard for us to find resources then that I can't imagine what it's like now or what it's going to be like as we continue to come out of this in whatever that looks like. Exactly. There's not, there's not enough as it is. Mm -mm. Things are going to be hard right now. And I think that more than anything, people need to know that, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that things do get better. Mm -hmm. 100%. Thank you for sharing that. I will make sure that all of your information is in the show notes, but where do you hang out the most if people are going to connect with you? I hang out the most on Facebook. Okay, perfect. I will make sure that everything is there. It has been a pleasure talking to you. And I thank you so much for sharing your story with all of us, because I know it will inspire somebody who is listening. It really, really, truly will. I have one more question for you is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? That I can survive, that I can live a life that I've always dreamed of and that as silly as it sounds, fairy tales exist. Mm. We can live one. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for being here. I promise you this episode will inspire many, many, many women out there. So thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.